Welcome to the Accord Research Alliance podcast, where we talk with innovators who are committed to measuring what matters in Christ-centered relief and development. My name is Rodney Green, Program Advisor for Agriculture and Economic Development at World Relief, and one of the hosts of this podcast. Today, I share with you a recent conversation I had with Dr. Bruce Weidick, Professor of Development Economics at the University of San Francisco. Bruce and I discussed what new research is teaching us regarding what kinds of interventions have been effective in enterprise development, education, and health. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Bruce, it's great to finally have you as a guest on this podcast. Rodney, wonderful to be with you today. Before we jump in the topic for today, can you give us a brief intro to yourself and your journey with faith, research, and development? Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I became a Christian um, late in high school and was really was heavily formed by InterVarsity in college at, at University of California at Davis. And then um, after undergrad, I went to um, what was then called Eastern College and studied under Tony Campolo and Ron Sider and um, learned about development. And then then uh, worked as a practitioner in uh, in the Dominican Republic in Costa Rica in microfinance for a little while and, and a couple of internships and and um, then returned to California to do my doctoral studies at UC Berkeley in economics and have been teaching at University of San Francisco ever since. Wow, and it's interesting to hear about your engagement with Tony Campolo and Ron Sider. Those are those are pretty big names and and been an influence on many of us. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, that was a really formative time for me. Um, that was um, that was a time in, in the late 80s when I was really just trying to find my own calling and vocation. And um, I can look back at that time studying under under Ron and Tony as, as influential in, even in my work today, um, even doing writing academic papers and running randomized control trials and things like that. I still... I still carry a lot of Eastern, good old, good old Eastern college in my heart, you know? Um, so, uh, so, so yeah, it was, um, both were very, very influential. I mean, I still keep in touch with Ron Sider too. Um, he's, he's in some ways, I feel like he's kind of a mentor. That's, that's amazing. And, um, so I'm, I'm really interested in, in digging a bit more into kind of now your, your life as a researcher and working at the university level, um, in your opinion, what have been some of the most important or groundbreaking research projects you've been involved with in your career so far? Gosh, I think I think uh, I think a few come to mind. Um, the, the 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 first the first study that I that I really really felt like made a pretty broad impact was our, our study on Compassion International, where we um, we we did a study involving over ten thousand adults in six different countries looking at the impact of the compassion program. And we used, we used the fact that, that kids had to be 12 years old or younger to be sponsored in these countries to, um, to find out what the impacts were of a big compassion expansion in the eighties. And so we, we interviewed all these, these folks that were all grown up, you know, and, and some of them um, were just young enough to be sponsored. And some of their older siblings were just a little bit too old and we looked at the difference that sponsorship made on their life outcomes and found that um, if you were sponsored uh, back in the 80s and or early 90s, you, um, you had a different life than, than people who weren't sponsored. You were much more likely to graduate from 
secondary school, you're much more likely to have a white collar job, be a church and community leader, live in a better house. Um, and, um, yeah, and it's, it, uh, it, it, it made an impact. I, th- I think, um, compassion always believed that their, <laughs> that their program worked, but, um, but we were able to show that it worked and it was, it was published in a pretty high, high profile journal. And, and I wrote an article that was a cover story, um, for Christianity today on it. And, um, so that was a really satisfying study. And, and then we've done, done a couple other studies since then that, that, that I think have been good. Um, one on, uh, the impact of Tom shoes, um, giving kids, and we, you know, when you buy a pair of Tom shoes, um, a kid overseas gets a, a free pair of shoes. And so we did a study on that. And actually in that case, we found that, that, that the shoes didn't really have transformative effects. Then again, it's a much, much cheaper intervention than, um, than being, uh, sponsored by a child or being a child sponsor for sponsored child for 10 years. Um, but we didn't find transformative impacts from, from the shoes, but that was good. That was still, it was, it was good research. And, um, uh, we, we were still really big fans of Tom's and how they adjusted to the findings of the study. Um, but, um, yeah, I think the, the, the third one that's been interesting recently is we did, I, I did a study with some of my colleagues at UC, I'm affiliated at UC Berkeley as a researcher. And we did a study with, with some of my colleagues there on the impact of, Nestle, uh, Nestle infant formula being introduced in the seventies and eighties across the world where there was, there were accusations of, of, of dramatic increases in infant mortality. And so we decided to investigate using some of Nestle's own data on when they entered certain countries in what years. And, um, and, and we found that indeed when, when mothers mixed this kind of new infant formula with dirty water, it, it resulted in about 66,000 infant deaths per year uh, around the world. And so that, that paper is just, it's under peer review now, but, um, but the research has gotten some, some attention, including from Nestle, by the way, uh, wow. <laughs> I didn't like it very much. I didn't like it very much, but you know, research is research and, and we thought it was important to investigate that. So, so th- those have been some of the things I've been involved with recently. Wow, these are incredible studies to talk about. And I think it it brings this sense of like what do people do with the research into and once they once they're aware of what's happening. Um, so I wanted to dig into that just a little bit more um, with the Tom Shoes case. Um, what were some ways that they adjusted based on the findings of the research you did? Well, it was it was interesting. And, you know, we we love working with Tom's and um I, I think that what Tom's does is 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 great. I think that the sh- the shoes were just kind of overbilled a little bit as being transformative, like like give a pair give a pair of shoes to a child and change change his life kind of kind of uh, <laughs> kind of take which which we didn't we didn't find, but we did find that they really that they really liked the shoes that they wore the shoes a lot. Um, and then in response to the research, Tom's. Uh, First of all, they just they they made a choice to give away higher quality shoes that wouldn't wear out quite so quickly, and then they also made it at least they they uh, pledged to give them out not just randomly but as rewards for school attendance in many cases and things like that. So it wouldn't feel like they to the kids it wouldn't feel like they were just getting stuff for free that they had to earn them by having a good good school attendance record and that kind of thing. Whether that's happened, I can't I can't verify. But 
that was the direction they wanted to move in. And then they introduced some new products that are much more likely to be, much, much more likely to be transformative than shoes. Um, uh, cataract surgery, when you buy a pair of their European-looking sunglasses, you get, <laughs> or somebody else overseas gets a pair of glasses themselves or even, even cataract surgery, um, you know, a, a different kinds of vision interventions. Um, when you buy some of their coffee, uh, people get clean water. So yeah, there's some good stuff going on with Tom's. I, I, I like, I like Tom's. I think they're, I think they're a very nimble, creative company that, that does a lot of good in the world. Well, that's great. I mean, it's helpful that you could use your skills and, and the kind of field of research to, to kind of zero in and look at what's really happening and how they can adjust and, and be even more effective, I think is, is really exciting outcome of, of this type of research. And uh, maybe just one follow-up question about the compassion case. Um, just from my own personal journey, I remember a few years ago coming across your article at, in Christianity Today and, and really seeing that as, a, as, as quite a groundbreaking study where um, having engaged with compassion for a number of years, that was often a question that people had was, you know, what is this really doing? And I think that, that the research you were part participating in really helped contribute to that, um, that dialogue there. So that was, that was really exciting. And how have you seen kind of compassion um, adjust or react to this type of research as well? Or, or do you know that? You know, uh, it, it's interesting because the program that we evaluated, like they, they would tell, tell us this every now and, now and again, is their quote old program, which they think isn't as effective as the one they have now. Um, so I think that they've, they've adjusted quite a bit just sort of based on their own metrics since that program that they rolled out in the eighties and early nineties, um, which was a little different than, than what they have now, but it's, but there's every reason to believe that it's equally effective. I mean, I think now they, first of all, they start kids at a younger age, which, you know, if, when we maybe go in to talk about other development interventions, we can talk about early childhood interventions. That's really big. Um, you know, it's, it's in, in some ways it's too late to start at five years old, um, that, um, people working with the poor overseas with children, um, need to intervene at the earliest possible, possible age. And compassion has realized that and started to, to adjust in that way. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm interested in, the other types of uh, research projects you, you want to tell us about. And, but maybe before we jump into that and really looking at what types of interventions are effective, maybe you could just talk a little bit about what you mean by effectiveness. Sure. I have, uh, so, so, so there's a book that I, that I, that I'm just finishing that's going to be out next summer called Shrewd Samaritan. And um, the subtitle is Faith Economics and the Road to Loving Our Global Neighbor. And, and so in the course of, of writing this book, the book is essentially about what is effective global action. You know, what is it? What is it? How is it defined? And um, the, the effective altruism movement um, would, would have us believe that it's, that it's all about kind of uh, disability-adjusted life years and things like that, um, that it's all about bang for the buck. And, um, and to a large extent, I really like the effective altruism movement, but, but I don't adopt it 
as the framework within which I think about what impacts are. Um, I, um, the, the framework that I think about effectiveness, the framework within which I think about effectiveness is, um, is the Catholic and more broadly Christian human dignity framework. So, um, so I, which, which has been adopted by virtually every major Christian NGO and many secular ones. Um, you know, it, it, the human dignity framework underlies the work of compassion, world vision, Catholic relief services, Mennonite central committee, you know, you can go on and on and on. Um, but I, I, I think of effectiveness within that framework and, and, so that effective poverty interventions relate to human dignity and human flourishing. And so the goal is human flourishing on a number of dimensions, not just health, not just education, but, um, but spiritually and socially as well, that human beings have many components and interventions in one of these areas can be really good, but, um, but may be insufficient to promote um, what, we would, what we would identify as human flourishing. So effectiveness to me is human flourishing. And, and um, uh, Peter Singer and other people in, in the effective altruism movement often kind of talk about bang for the buck. You know, um, in the book, uh, I, I develop another concept called bang for the bang for the buck, which I call B3. Um, and it has to do with how an intervention, let's, let's, take, um, let's take clean clean water or education, for example, um, so we invest a certain amount in an educational intervention. Um, well, the question is like, if somebody goes to school more, how does that promote human flourishing? So it probably does, um, but it also depends on the macroeconomy around that person. It depends on how much schooling actually promotes human flourishing in that in that context. Um, same thing with a lot of other interventions that that have that may have very strong direct effects, but um, but in a particular context, that particular effect may not be transformative. So, so what we want to focus on are interventions that, that, uh, have direct effects, but that also that that direct effect has a, has a large effect on human flourishing. Right. And I would definitely resonate this as a, you know, program advisor at World Relief. This is a, a framework that we use as well. Like you mentioned, there's it's sort of a very influential framework. So I, I definitely resonate with what you're sharing. And I think that's a helpful helpful framework for us to kind of keep in mind as we as we dig more into some specific types of of interventions and what the research is telling us. So uh, where would you want to begin there? What um, is there a, a research project that that you'd like to tell us about? Sure. Well, it, in in the book in Shrewd Samaritan, I I um, identify twenty different. I look at twenty different interventions chosen in part to be ones that ordinary people can contribute to. Um, and from those from those twenty that that I review in the book, I actually give them stars, like like a movie critic, like one to five stars. Um, but from from that, I identified in a in a subsequent chapter five themes, I guess you might say, of or five themes that, that tend to show commonalities in, in what seems to be effective. So, um, so maybe I'll just kind of briefly talk about those, those five. And the, the first one is that there, there is no uh, greater, if, if somebody wants to have the biggest 
you know, what, what in effective altruism, we'd say bang for the buck, it would be in some very inexpensive health interventions. So deworming, for example, has, has been shown to be if, if, if you give kids albendazole in, um, in, a, in a areas with really high worm loads, it has huge effects on cognitive development because worms live in the intestines. They feed on the iron in our blood. Little kids need, blood, need iron to develop their brains. And so there, there's a re- recent study this year, for example, in um, the American Economic Journal Applied Economics that, um, that looks at the long-term impacts of kids who were um, like from birth to, to two years old um, when there was a deworming effort in their village and, um, and they, they find an effect of about two standard, uh, about 0.2 standard deviations on cognitive ability, which is more than a grade of school. <laughs> um, you know, and this is just from being like a bystander recipient of other kids being dewormed in, in their village, you know, so, and deworming is really, really cheap. So, um, deworming vaccines, mosquito nets, those kinds of health interventions when they're properly targeted, like when, when there's, when there's a good diagnosis of what the problem is and they're implemented well, um, really do have a big impact and they have it and they have an impact on human flourishing. Um, the other, the other, another, uh, sort of second group of interventions are, um, actually kind of related to it in some way, but early childhood interventions that not only deal with health, but even more are, um, address parenting by at-risk mothers with at-risk children starting at the earliest age, starting in utero, in fact, um, where when this is a domestic intervention as well as an international, a global intervention where um, people, where where women have um, parental coaches that help them to be good parents that, that where, where people show these teenage or young moms how to care for children well, how to nurture and love their child well. And these have huge impacts. They're, it's, it's very, very inexpensive. Um, and, and dramatically, studies in the U.S. show that it dramatically increases uh, um, well-being in, in um, young elementary school years, reduces delinquent behavior, increases graduation rates, um, all these really, really measurable um, outcomes improve when kids uh, have um, parents that have been coached well at risk in, in at risk situations. Parents that have been coached well. Can I um, ask a quick follow up question on that one? Sure. Um, sure. So, for the parent coaches, um, who are the coaches in these in these contexts? Are they from within the community? Yeah, yeah. Typically, they, they you know the. The interesting thing is they can, uh, I mean, the most well-known studies involve um, like kind of uh, public health nurses that, that visit moms when um, that, you know, beginning in pregnancy and then through kind of very, very early childhood. But, um, but this is something that churches actually could, can get involved in too. Uh, just people, um, women, especially in the church, older women becoming mentors to young moms um, who are in, in sort of at-risk situations and just preventing, preventing issues from beginning from, you know, it, um, in the first place 
is much, much more cost effective than dealing with issues after they arise. So, um, so yeah, they can, they can be any, it can be formal, informal. Um, there's good reason to believe that, that, um, any sort of good kind of parental coaching, mentoring, um, for women with young children is really effective. Right. This is helpful and encouraging because, um, one of the programs I'm involved with at World Relief does just this by working with church networks. And we have, um, it's kind of a home visitation program. We call it outreach groups. And it involves a whole module on um, not only like early child um, development and health, but also parenting and, and marriage um, counseling. So it's it's sort of church volunteers from within the community kind of providing this peer coaching um, and also a curriculum and home visits on a, a is, monthly basis. So we, we're, yeah, we're expecting that fantastic. That is fantastic. I mean, that kind of intervention is something with so much research backing in terms of effectiveness. Um, you know, more, um, more NGOs ought to be doing exactly what, what you're doing at world relief in that, in that context. It's a great, it's a great intervention. And the, the thing with interventions like that is, they're not celebrated as much as the things that turn around the troubled teenager, for example, you know? Right. Um, but because, because, but we have to, like, if we're going to learn to be shrewd Samaritans, we have to not think that way. <laughs> we have to think in terms of, gosh, this is so great that we're doing this because, because of the problems that we're preventing from happening later. You know, so that's great. Right. Great. So uh, that's that's encouraging and uh, something I could bring back to our team as well. Um, so this is this is helpful. I like these five themes. So we were talking about health. We're talking about early childhood. Um, what are some of the others? Yeah. So so another another theme that really pops out is the is the holistic intervention. So what in, in, in the last 10 years, there have been a lot of randomized controlled trials that have been done on on a on a a huge array of different interventions. What they find that one of the most successful ones of uh, one of the most successful interventions has been both in secular and faith-based circles is um, something called a poverty graduation program. Sometimes they're called like integrated poverty, um, integrated poverty programs or holistic poverty programs. They, they have, they have different names, but they often involve about 10 different interventions at once. <laughs> so, so they'll, they'll often involve some kind of, physical asset transfer. It could be like a, um, a key farm animal, like a, like a cow or a goat, uh, a cash transfer, um, school fees for children, access to savings and borrowing, um, health, a health intervention, um, things like things like deworming for, for the children. So especially if it's done in a community level and then, um, maybe key to all of this is the, is a life coach. So, so there was a, there's a study done by, on, on the BRAC interventions, the um, Bangladesh Rural Advancement Committee. It's the largest poverty NGO in the world, even bigger than World Vision now. And, and they implement this holistic graduation program in, in a number of different countries. And it was studied by, by a group of top development economists, um, almost sort of like an all-star list of development economists from the Ivy League universities and came out in an article in Science Magazine three years ago. Um, huge impacts from this program in every country that it was implemented. Um, there are other 
NGOs, uh, World Vision, I imagine World Relief too, has has some version of this kind of holistic graduation poverty graduation program. But they just tend they're not cheap. They're they're it's it's not not the cheapest intervention, but when targeted at the poor poorest of the poor, it it really seems to make a difference, at least kind of in the medium term. A lot a lot of them haven't been studied in the long their effects in the long, long term after they end, but but at least there's really good evidence that in the medium term they're effective. And I and I suspect especially when you combine it with with some kind of um, sort of spiritual discipleship that it could be very very effective and that's actually the fourth the fourth one that I wanted to talk about which is just evangelism <laughs> and I know I know a lot of um, you know it's people must think oh gosh well what do the secular people think about that um, but what's really interesting is that in secular research circles there's this growing appreciation believe it or not out there um, for the role of missions in development work. So there have been this slew of studies that have been done on the historical impacts of Protestant missions done uh, 100, 200, 300 years ago on, for example, the formation of democracy in the developing world. was a a really celebrated paper by Robert Woodbury at Baylor um, that that looks at this, that was, that was an article in the American political science review in 2012. Um, there's, there's a study done by Nathan Nunn at Harvard university about the impact of Protestant missions on just the secular outcome of literacy and education, where the impact of Protestant missions that were started, um, you know, with, with data roughly from a hundred years ago, shows higher levels of education and literacy today in places where missionaries had been operating decades and decades ago in sub-Saharan Africa. There's a paper that's one of the, um, one of the new articles in the quarterly journal of economics, the top economics journal on the impact of Jesuit missions among the Guyanese, which was the subject of the movie, the mission with, with Jeremy Irons and Robert De Niro Remember about 30 years ago. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that movie? It's a great movie. So, 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 so this um, so this researcher at University of British Columbia looks at where the Jesuits were operating um, anywhere from 400 to uh, to 250 years ago in Brazil, Argentina, and Paraguay among the Guayani. And today, those areas where the Jesuits were teaching people how to read and write and organize themselves in agriculture have higher levels of literacy, higher levels of income, and um, adoption of higher, higher agricultural technology. Um, so, so that there's this, you know, there's this emerging consensus that, that, wow, you know, these missions, actually, if we're talking about basic economic development, um, you know, have an effect, not just on sort of spiritual outcomes, but secular outcomes. And the most exciting study along these lines is, a very, very recent one that was undertaken by Dean Carlin, who's the head of Innovations for Poverty Action. Um, it's now at Northwestern University um, on the impact of a discipleship program in the Philippines. Um, and so there were three collaborators on this on this project. Dean, who calls himself an agnostic Jew, um, James Choi at Yale, who's an evangelical Christian, and then um, Brian Gerard at London School of Economics, who call, identifies himself as an atheist. Right, so they they put together this team to study uh, uh, to study the the work of international care ministries in the Philippines, 
and they did a randomized controlled trial in 320 villages in the Philippines with ICM. And in 80 of the villages, they got purely this livelihood program. It's a secular version of this livelihood program on microfinance and health that, that, um, that they gave to people in the villages. In another 80 villages, they got purely a, a discipleship program, just a Christian discipleship program, no practical uh, advice whatsoever. And then in another 80 villages, they did uh, kind of a combination of the two, and another 80 villages were a control group. Right? So they so they roll out this program that lasts for four months, and then they looked at the impacts on incomes and other things um, a year later. And what they found was that the discipleship program was the most effective. Wow. <laughs> so in places in the places so they, what they found is the discipleship intervention raised incomes by like nine or ten percent um, in these in these villages. And and you know, this is this is a study that just got a lot of a lot of media attention. Um, sort of major newspapers and everything um, and the economists, the New York times. And, you know, and, and it was, and it was sort of the first controlled experiment that they'd done on Christianity, <laughs> you know, like how does it affect secular outcomes or right. And, you know, the, the purpose of evangelism is not, you know, unless you're really into the prosperity gospel or something is, is not to improve incomes. It's to make us more Christ-like human beings. But, but what this research shows is it does have these, at least among the very poor, it has these positive benefits on development outcomes too. And the researchers attribute it to the grit that, that kind of the Protestant ethic seems to have, like the sense of agency um, that people developed as a real result of this discipleship um, training. The interesting thing is they felt somewhat less satisfied, um, you know, so it's like they had, they had higher aspirations and higher energy, but um, higher agency, but what, you know, we're a little sort of still striving to do better, you know, which is kind of interesting. Right. Um, but, but yeah, yeah. So, so I guess like one thing I would say to, to, to people is if, if, if a development organization loses its evangelistic focus, if it loses its spiritual component in the, in, you know, in the quest for a kind of bang for the buck on health outcomes, it's um, it's gone off the road. Yeah, I think what's interesting is all this work that that I've been discussing is is by secular researchers, and if secular researchers are finding impacts of human flourishing from holistically oriented programs that include evangelism, then Christian NGOs should take that and run with it. Um, not not to not to at all to be unloving or obnoxious or anything in our evangelism, but but to to keep challenging people to um, with the claims of Christ and and um, to to deepen their relationship with God and to, to to follow Jesus and that this is this is part of this is part of human flourishing is for people to have a relationship with their Creator. So. Um, so essentially, what 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 the the latest research um, is showing is is that um, is that this sort of holistic approach by Christian NGOs is a is a solid approach. Not that it doesn't need evaluation, not that it doesn't need continual monitoring, um, and we always need to remember that whatever we do, we do in love. Um, but um, but that that's that's the road we need to walk down. Yeah, that 
the focus on love, I think, is very helpful here. And I also kind of one of my reactions to hearing this and engaging with this is that um, Christian NGOs do recognize that people are spiritual beings and that, you know, around the world, people have some sort of spiritual belief or practice, um, even if it's among different religions. And that that recognition, that holistic approach of recognizing that uh, we're all spiritual beings and that that's part of how we grow and move in the world is is in and of itself powerful. And one thing I I kind of wrestle with, too, in, in regards to uh, evangelism is the sense of kind of what you see in kind of secular studies on behavior change and that there's this sense of identity change and belief change linking with uh, behavior change and practice and habits and things like that. And I feel like, you know, this focus on evangelism kind of hits that identity level where someone may see themselves differently, having been able to think about how God sees them and love and how that can fuel a lot of different types of change that maybe weren't possible with a different type of worldview. What would you say about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I agree with it. We, we, um, we ran a randomized controlled trial in Oaxaca, Mexico, where uh, among with uh, Evangelical Covenant Church down there, and we um, we introduced a hope curriculum, a biblically based hope curriculum that we randomized among about 780 microfinance borrowers down in Oaxaca, and we 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 invited some a film crew from from Sacramento State University to come down and shoot a documentary on the most successful women in the program that had taken their micro enterprises to the next level. And they created this neat documentary, you know, that you could, you could see online. It's all in Spanish and stuff, but, but um, then we randomized the viewing of that documentary to, um, to about half of these women to, to almost 400 women. And um, so they got to see these stories being told by women in their same organization that had successful businesses. And then we, we, um, did this did this curriculum that was based on um, on Snyder's psychology of hope, which has to do with agent with aspirations, development of aspirations. So he he says there are three components of hope: goals and aspirations, agency. So a person's belief that they can um, that they have the capability of of achieving some of those aspirations, and then um, pathways, which is the ability to conceive of a path toward the aspiration. So. So there's a biblical basis for all of those components of hope. And we, we randomized this intervention where we carried out a curriculum over the course of a year with these, with these women. They're, they're all almost all indigenous, indigenous Mexican Zap, of Zapotec ancestry. And um, it was, it was really cool. I mean, in the first month after a very intensive phase of the intervention, we saw this really big impact on aspirations, but it was interesting because about 75% of the women are Catholic and about 25 are um, Protestant evangelical. And all of the impact was among the Catholic women. <laughs> so it's like we had injected them with like the Protestant ethic or something. Um, so they, yeah, it was just amazing sort of the impact on their businesses and aspirations that sort of died down over, over the course of a year. And then the evangelical women kind of, um, 
caught up a little more. I think at first it wasn't that new to them where it was more new to the Catholic women. Right. Um, but at the end of the year, we found, you know, we had a business performance index that, that significantly increased. Um, aspirations had died down a little bit, but agencies and conceptualization of pathways out of poverty were really powerfully impacted at the end. Um, there was um, there was less dropout among the groups where we showed the film. So in other words, like the social cohesion improved um, among those groups. They saved more. So it was it was. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was a neat study, you know, where we showed that that um, it was more in a, in a sense it was more. And it's not a huge study, but um, it was it was definitely sort of a proof of concept type study, I think, where um, where we where we showed that, that again, you know, that this kind of holistically spiritually based curriculum that exactly as you're describing that changes the way, in this case, women think about themselves and about their lives and about their agency. And that emphasizes a relationship with God that that is maybe different than they had conceived of before, because because actually religion generically can go both ways. It it can be religion can be very fatalistic. Yeah, um, that's you true. know especially certain yeah certain world religions. Um, sometimes developing world Catholicism can be quite fatalistic, um, but other other world religions like. Um, Evangelical Christianity, also some, certain forms of, of Confucianism or, or Judaism, also can really emphasize human agency. That where where like in 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 um, in New Testament Christianity, we believe that God gives people choices. He gives people the power to make those choices um, and the responsibility to do good. And and that that worldview that things can change, that God can work through me through my choices to create that change for myself, my family, my community is, is a radical message for many of the world's poor and a purely material intervention, whether it's in health or education um, is likely to not change that way of thinking necessarily, necessarily. Um, and this is one of the reasons why um, for, for example, I, I'm not, I love these these cheap health interventions, but but you can have you can have a community where everybody's healthy but is still incredibly poor, and where the government for, functions very 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 poorly, where there's a lot of corruption, and and so these holistically based interventions that start in very early childhood, that raise people up in a framework of ethics, um, in where where they have a relationship with God, that's how good leaders are developed and good leaders transform countries. So if we, if we just completely focus on this sort of short-sighted bang for the buck stuff, um, which can be very good, we're, we're missing a huge part of the picture, which is, which is transformation and transformation occurs through the patient, through patient long-term interventions that essentially replicate really good parenting. Um, You know, that's what, that's what produces, young adults and older adults that lead communities that have a set of standards of ethical values that, that create, uh, that, that have a vision for change that, that create true sort of transformative change um, that you see in some pockets of the developing world. So um, anyway, I guess all that to say is that effective altruism, you know, neat has, has some good points to make, but, um, but a larger view of human flourishing 
um, subsumes that kind of thinking. Right. What what you're saying kind of has this image in my mind of like really walking with communities, you're kind of uh, a nod to Ryan Myers walking with the poor. Um, but the sense that what you said, a patient long-term intervention, where there's a real relationship, where um, there's vision, as you mentioned, and um, holistic interventions that are that we're seeing really work um, with the spiritual dimension. And I could see that the communities themselves would also be participating in this journey and walking uh, together and in relationship along this this path towards hope and um, and development. Mm-hmm. So that's that's and it's exciting. Uh, this conversation has been energizing to me. So I appreciate I appreciate this time uh, just being able to dig into these things. Um, Great. Now, you mentioned five themes. Uh, I think we talked about spiritual, evangelism, holistic, poverty, graduation, early childhood development, and health. Was there one more maybe that we've missed, or did we also capture that in another? You know, the, 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 the fifth that, 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 that I was going to mention is, 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 are just interventions that allow for a lot of choice um, by, by the poor. Um, and, and so most economists these days, for example, favor – giving the poor cash over in-kind goods and, and organizations like world vision um, and, and others, I think have been, have started to kind of lean that direction in, in terms of, uh, in, in, in terms of doing it, carrying out an intervention with the poor that, that gives them the dignity to make their own choices with what they, with what they do. And cash transfers have been, they've been controversial. There's evidence in the U S that, that welfare programs have have reduced the incentive to work. That's not what we see overseas. I mean, what we see at, at the very least are are big short term impacts in in um, in consumption, investment, and in enterprise and livestock. Um, and and really, uh, you know, re- really kind of addressing violations of of human dignity in terms of kids going literally going to bed hungry. Without without enough food, you know these cash transfers allow kids to be well fed, which is gonna which is likely to have long term impacts on their on their cognitive ability, brain development, on their psychology. So um, so I would just encourage people like within the framework of this this kind of holistic development approach to to favor um, giving you know when there's a choice about giving an in kind gift or cash to, to default towards cash, unless there's a good reason to think that the in-kind gift um, would, would have a bigger impact. But, but cash is now the benchmark of, of um, relative to in-kind gifts. Um, And there there are exceptions like the the health interventions. You know, if, if I, um, if I get a mosquito bed net, my, my neighbors are, are less likely to get malaria too. Right. So, when we understand as economists in, in situations where there are spillover effects to other people that that maybe in-kind giving can um, can be preferred to cash in some instances but in general in general we want to give people the agency to make their own choices so so that that's and the evidence is is pretty strong for that now that is a beautiful note uh, to begin wrapping up our conversation um, the ability to make choices and so just to recap, you know, we've talked about um, effectiveness as human flourishing and human dignity. Uh, 
We've talked about kind of five different types of interventions that have been seen to be ineffective um, in human, in kind of fostering human flourishing among extreme poverty. And we've got health, uh, really strong, uh, quick results type of health projects uh, such as deworming, early, early childhood development, holistic poverty graduation with, with different types of interventions, uh, the, the essential element of a spiritual component and evangelism, and really fostering a choice among the poor and how that in and of itself is, is full of, of human dignity. And also the ability to walk long-term in, with patient interventions. Um, there's a lot of, of great things here. I'm going to have to come back and listen to this because there was a lot of great content in this that I'll, I'll need to continue working with. Uh, so thank you, uh, Dr. Weidick, for, for joining us today. Thanks, Rodney. It's great. Yeah, great to be with you today. Great to talk with you. Um, if people want to engage more with your work, uh, what would you recommend? So what, what resources do you have available? Yeah, so so I have a blog that 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 um, where I post something usually about every month, um, a, sh- a short piece at acrosstwoworlds.net. So people should feel free to to go to my blog and and um, the book that I'm writing, Shrewd Samaritan, will be out this next summer. Um, that's what they say anyway, um, and it's published by HarperCollins Christian and. Um, and yeah, I look look forward to to doing some talks in in different areas on the book, and engaging people and and hearing their questions and comments um, about this. Yeah, this pretty pretty important subject, right? How to engage how to engage the global poor in a meaningful and effective way. So that's fantastic, and I I will personally look forward to that, and I appreciate your blog as well. Um, just a couple other resources to mention um, for our Accord members. You're also an editor of the Christian Relief Development Advocacy Journal that's coming out. Uh, do you want to say anything about that? Yeah, I think that's that's going to be an exciting new journal that um, that publishes work for uh, Christian development practitioners. Um, just whether it's research, whether it's um, discussing different types of of interventions and, and how relatively effective they are. Um, different words from practitioners to other practitioners. It should be, it should be a really lively conversational space. That's great. And that's actually, uh, there's a call for submissions open right now for its first edition. And so I'll provide some uh, links to that as well, if you're interested. And so thank you so much for being with us. Uh, there are a lot to wrestle with today for us and a lot of inspiring content as well. And I think that's important as well to continue to be inspired. So thank you for the inspirational work that that you're doing to do uh, really quality research around the world. Thank you, Rodney. Great being with you. And thanks for joining us and have a great day.